want to invite you to turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're right there at the beginning of the chapter. It's, it's page 974 or thereabouts, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible. As we continue to work through the book of Galatians, we've, we've come now uh, to chapters 5 and 6, the final two chapters of this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And, and you may recall, I, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times when we began, and then maybe a little later, that I said uh, we, we can break this letter down into three different parts. Anytime we come to a, a, a letter, a book of the Bible, it's helpful to outline it. <laughs> it helps us to put it all together to see what the message is. And, and with Galatians, it really breaks down neatly into uh, three different sections, two chapters each. Uh, and you may recall as we came to the first two chapters, chapters 1 and 2, that there Paul, even though he's dealing with the people, the Galatians, and this problem that has arisen, the false teachers. But, he, but throughout, he's speaking about himself. And he's speaking about the process that he went through. And his main point, if you recall, was uh, to show that the gospel that he had delivered to them was not a gospel that was from man, but it was a gospel that was from God, given to him. Uh, this was really a defense of his message in, in front of the teaching that they had received. Uh, and then chapters 3 and 4, we could use the word through and through that this is, this is theology. <laughs> uh, the only way that a person can have a right standing before God is, and I, I should, for those who have been here, I should allow you to answer that because we've seen it again and again and again. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith alone. Uh, we see that in different ways, chapters 3 and 4. And that doesn't end, you'll see, in today's uh, message. In fact, uh, in chapter 4, as we begin, this is really a, a transition between uh, the, the last two sections, chapters 3 and 4, that's uh, section the second section, and then chapters 5 and 6, the third section that we begin this morning. Uh, and here, on the basis of everything that's gone before, uh, we begin to look at what does it look like to live in Christ and to live for Christ. Uh, it says here that we are saved by God. And that in order to, to, to live, what God has done is He has given us His life-energizing Spirit to uh, work out of us uh, day in and day out, uh, that sanctification uh, so that more and more we come to be in step with God. In, in fact, uh, you'll see in the heading there in the ESV, it talks about being in step with the Spirit. And that's really where he's going with us, is how do we now live? Uh, so uh, the important kind of doctrine or truth all the way through, we are justified by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Well, when we embrace that, when we come to, to Christ by faith, how, therefore, shall we live? How are we able to live? And it's the Spirit who enables that. We learn here about in chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, how God works out of us uh, that which is godly. Um, and so that's uh, chapters 
5 and 6. Now, all of this begins, though, that's why I call this a transition passage, all of this begins with Christian liberty. We read about it earlier in our Confession of Faith. And, you know, I I think everyone here would probably agree uh, that when a person has been in some form of uh, shackles, enslavement, uh, that when that is removed, completely removed, and they are free, then there's a sense in which, some sense in which they begin to live differently. They begin to live lives anew. Now, if you've ever experienced a, a physical condition that has kept you down for a time, way down, uh, maybe even flat on your back, uh, so that you couldn't do some of the things that you love, and then that condition is removed, it can almost seem like in that sense that life has begun anew. I know over the past couple of weeks I, I prayed about it moments ago that uh, our, our daughter Callie, that she experienced this. I think many of you have been praying for her for months, and she, for much of that time she was on her back. She went from running cross-country on a daily basis and, and loving it uh, to being immobile and, and having a difficult time just uh, moving about at all. And uh, that's been for months and she did get uh, word from a doctor this past week that, no, I think you're, it looks like the, the, the wound is healed and you can, you can run. You can begin slowly to run. So the messages we've been seeing from her are messages of joy. Uh, just at being able to get out and, and walk fast and then begin to run some. Now, I know some here would not have that experience at all. No, <laughs> don't, don't make me run. But, uh, but that's been coming from her and it's that sense of, yeah, almost like shackles were on her, but then that's removed, and she's able to to move about and and to really take uh, take joy in that. You know, one author wrote this. He said, "Christians blossom when they understand their liberty," and he was talking about when they truly understand their liberty uh, in their hearts. And I would add, when they uh, recall it, when they're they're called to think upon it and to bring it back to mind and, and to heart. He's talking about freedom in Christ, uh, that, which, that which enables us, that which facilitates us to truly live in and by the Spirit. And so this passage that we're looking at this morning, this transition passage between these two sections, uh, it, it, it should help each of us to understand and and certainly if we have experienced that in our lives uh, that 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 freedom that knowledge of Christ to be reminded of that and to take joy in it anew because it's not just something that's there in the past no uh, God's mercies are new every morning and so we should be taking joy in in that freedom and living out of it uh, on a daily basis and so what Paul desires is clear he wants us to blossom uh, he wants us to blossom uh, out of an understanding, a reminder of our liberty. And uh, so I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. You'll notice that very first verse may be uh, familiar to you. This is a, a key verse out of God's Word, speaking about that liberty. This is God's Word. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Please join me in prayer. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know that it's truth. We thank you that we can know that you have provided it, not just for that, that first century church uh, that the letter was directed directly to, but also for all those generations after that look to you, and that would include us, uh, that you have given us help there. And therefore, Lord, we pray for help uh, this morning in, in understanding these words and applying them to our, our hearts, connecting them with uh, the rest of your word, and uh, therefore uh, being able to see and to recognize that Christian liberty in a greater way, apply it to our lives uh, that Paul is referring to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few uh, months ago when our, our family uh, went to Washington, D.C., uh, it was at a, a time when this uh, announcement had just been made or, or the ruling had been made by the Supreme Court overruling uh, Roe v. Wade or overturning it. And uh, it was a time when, and I, I kind of knew it was going to be ahead of time before we went to D.C., it, it, you know, this is an important time and here we are going to the, the nation's capital. Uh, but it was a time when uh, people's thoughts and their opinions, as we came to find out, uh, were expressed openly on, on you know, posters, on the, the protest signs uh, that were held. Not that that doesn't always happen in D.C., but I think uh, during this time more than usual. And I, I remember that several of those signs that were held by those, especially protesting in front of the Supreme Court as we walked by one day, um, they had the word freedom written on in some manner. Uh, now, these, these were people who were protesting against, largely, almost entirely, against uh, what had happened, the, the overturn uh, of the decision. And uh, even though the, many of the signs, they had different phrases on them, different ways of articulating this, they were all kind of saying the same thing. Uh, and some of the signs may have said this exact uh, thing, which was, you know, hands off, my body, my decision, my freedom. And that's what was spoken about, was freedom. Now, of course, uh, in answer to that, uh, someone who is pro-life, and there was one man when we went in front of the Supreme Court who was very verbal uh, in defense of, uh, of life. Uh, and I don't know if this is exactly what he said, but this would be the immediate words that would be said, of course. Well, freedom, yes. But what about the, the freedom of that, that, that child, that baby, to live? Who's going to protect the freedom of the most vulnerable uh, in this world? And so there you've got two groups, uh, both very different, coming from very different viewpoints, yet both claiming to be advocates for freedom. 
And that just reminds us that when we come to that word freedom, it is an important word, but we need to clearly define what we mean by it. You know, it is a, a term that means a lot, especially in the United States of America, given our, our history and, uh, you know, Declaration of Independence uh, from Great Britain. It's a, it's a term that means a lot. And so we use it often. We, we hear about uh, the freedom to vote, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We thank the Lord for that. Freedom of press, uh, the freedom of education to, to bring up and to educate our, our, our children uh, as we see fit. Uh, the freedom to petition the government and on and on. There's a long list that I could uh, continue forward with. But notice in that list that I just gave, notice the way that we most often think about that word freedom. It, it's about rights that we have to autonomy. Uh, we have freedom from outside interference in the things that we engage in, in the things that we believe are, are right. In other words, what we as Americans most often uh, desire is personal freedom. The freedom, in a sense, to be left alone and to continue forward. Now, I just bring that up in order to say when we talk about Christian freedom, we don't want to, to take that and place it on top of it. Because these are two different things. When the Bible generally talks about freedom as something that we should desire, something that we should seek after, it's, it's not those things. Uh, in fact, it's not that autonomy. Uh, it's speaking about freedom to the Lord. Freedom specifically in the New Testament in Christ. And so in this passage, Paul is not talking about political freedom. He's not talking about freedom from an unjust oppressor. Uh, he's not talking about personal autonomy. None of those things I mentioned earlier, but in fact, he's speaking about something that's far more glorious, uh, far more freeing, if you will, far more enabling, far more lasting. Uh, we read about it earlier in our Confession of Faith. And I'm going to put it under these three headings. Uh, you could go back to the Confession of, uh, of Faith, especially that first paragraph, and, and find this in there. It's that uh, in Christ, you have freedom from sin. You have freedom from death. And you have freedom from Satan. Everything else can kind of fall under those headings. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul is speaking about with these wonderful words. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from Satan. Uh, and when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now remember that uh, Paul is speaking to a people who know about such things. Uh, he, he's, he's actually appealing to their memory, to their knowledge uh, of being under that bondage and so he says, for freedom, for freedom from sin, for freedom from death, for freedom from Satan, Christ has set, you, set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Now maybe that's something that you know. You've, in the past perhaps at some point, you've come to know bondage and to, to recognize that, that thing that 
the rest of the world so often doesn't recognize that we can think back perhaps to entire swaths of our lives and never a thought entering into our minds that we are uh, enslaved to sin, to death, to Satan. Yet, perhaps God has has brought you to that point where there is a point, there has been a point, and maybe it's now, where you've come to see and recognize all this time under bondage, being held by sin, coming back to it again and again, the guilt, the weight of guilt that was there, yet never able to set it aside, but having to live under it, and all of it headed toward death with Satan keeping keeping me covered, keeping me blind, and keeping me there so that, and perhaps you've gotten to that point to which you can say, yes, I've come to that point, and I've seen it so clearly. Uh, now, we've got to recognize this is something that's true of, of all people, although most don't recognize it, that we are born into sin ever since Adam. Uh, the people have been born into sin. It takes a hold of us. And it holds us down. Uh, and our destiny ultimately has been death. And when I speak about death, I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death, separation from God, uh, and all that comes along with it, hell. And finally, that we're under, all people are under the hold of Satan. He is the great deceiver. And he keeps us from seeing, from understanding our true condition. Yet if you know these things about your own life, if God has opened up your hearts and your eye, your, your heart and your eyes to be able to see and to recognize this condition in yourself, then He wants you to hear, whether it's for the first time or as a reminder, that there is a way to be completely released from this bondage to sin, to death, to Satan. There is freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, another way to put this is that in Christ we find freedom from the bondage of the law. Remember what the law is. The law is that which shows us our sin, points to our sin, holds us captive to that sin. Because we see that sin and, and, and we see the consequences in our lives and we're unable by doing good time and time again to get ourselves out from under that bondage. And yet, there's freedom in Christ. And so Paul says here, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I want to point out two ways here that Paul is encouraging them to stand firm. Now, the first one is a, it's a warning. And the second one is a true encouragement. He's saying, first of all, stand firm and beware of legalism. And then secondly, he's saying, stand firm and go on to embrace Christ by faith and through the Spirit. The first one's a warning against departing from Christ. The second one is an encouragement to draw near to Christ. And so first, verses 2 to 4, saying stand firm and beware of legalism. Now Paul here, is, he's addressing the core issue that has stood in the way of his flock 
experiencing and living out of the freedom that Christ has bought for His people. That issue is legalism. Uh, which at a minimum, we've got to say, as we look at how the Bible represents legalism, as we look at it in our own lives and in the lives of others, at a minimum, it causes us to be anemic as Christians. It takes away our zeal. It takes away our passion. Uh, it takes away our love for the Lord, our love for one another. And Paul shows here that if it continues and it takes root, that it's a killer. That it comes in and it destroys any opportunity for a relationship with Christ. And it leaves in its place a cold and detached and ceremonial approach to God. Now, I, I do want to remind us here at the outset that these people had come to know Christ. That, that's, that's where Paul is, is speaking from. They had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ when Paul first came to them and, and began to preach uh, and, and therefore, they felt the burden of their sin. Now, I'm talking at large, uh, the people. We, we're not individuals necessarily. We don't know exactly what the makeup was, but they felt the burden of their sin. They felt the weight of guilt. And then they heard that by faith in Christ, all of that would be lifted off of their shoulders. And they would be able to, to know God, to experience God, to be free from guilt and therefore their, their, their sin taken away, and they would be in a completely different place with God, no longer finding their joy in the temporary things of this world, but finding their joy in things that are eternal and lasting and that therefore help them day in and day out to live their lives in this world. Now, that's Paul's whole point here. That's why he says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And what he means by that, that phrase, submit again, is that they, that they not let outward ceremonial observance take the place of Christ in their standing before the Lord. Now, we see here that specifically for them, the, the, the heart of the issue or the thing that, that pointed to this problem of legalism was circumcision. Uh, circumcision, uh, the practice of circumcision. It was that which the Jewish teachers had come amongst them and had said, uh, this is what you need. This is, in fact, what you must have in order to improve your standing with, with God. Uh, they may have even said in order to have a standing with God. You, you need to submit to circumcision. Now listen to what Paul has to say about that. Verse 2. Look at the way he starts that. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, this one observance, circumcision, would bring them back under the entirety of the law, which we know that it is impossible for a man, a woman to keep. Now, you may want to ask the question here of Paul. Paul, why? Why this, why this outburst about circumcision? Why are you so concerned about little ceremony, one that, 
It may not be necessary now, but what does it hurt to have this ceremony? That's where I think we need to understand where Paul is coming from. Uh, The first thing I would say is that in our thinking about this, uh, that circumcision, it wasn't just a a minor ceremony. Uh, In this day, if you submitted yourself to this, it's guaranteed that it was very, very important to you. Now, let me just speak very bluntly about this. There was no anesthesia in that day. Uh, For a grown man to undergo this, there would have been significant pain, perhaps a long, maybe a week recovery time. If you accepted circumcision, uh, this wasn't even just walking down the aisle or something like that. This was something that was important to you. So the question, why would a man willingly do this? Well, one reason would be as an alternative to faith in Christ. Outwardly, well, you could, you could believe that you had taken part in Christ. You, you've done something. You could feel that you, you belong to this people, that you're good with God, especially for the Galatians. That would have been tempting because they were always on the outside. Now, through circumcision, you, you, you belong. You belong to us. You belong to Him. You're good with God. So that's one reason, an alternative to faith. Now, we can do the same thing, can't we? Uh, Not through circumcision. That wouldn't be the thing that we're tempted to do today. What are other alternatives to faith? Uh, There are many. The list is long. Uh, It could be our service within the church. It could be simply being a member of the church, regular attendance at the church. Uh, Or once we were in that place, it could be regular devotions of a certain kind. I, I could go on and on. It could be raising our hand, walking down an aisle. That could be one way uh, that we make ourselves uh, into that place in which we say, I, I, am, I am a part of this. I, am a, I have a part of Christ. But that, notice what, what's happening in every case. We're substituting something that we do, something visible, something outward in place of a true relationship with Christ, which is by faith, and which of necessity is inward, therefore. Do you recall what what we read earlier out of Deuteronomy 30? And it was talking about circumcision. What circumcision really was, even there in the Old Testament, remember this, uh, Moses said, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, and the heart of your offspring, so that, following this, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see the difference between these two? One of them, a relationship with Christ. It's inward. It's by faith. Uh, And it it knows the Lord. It, 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 It shows itself in a love for the Lord and for the ways of the Lord. But the other... It's, it's an outward work. It's something that we do. There's still a relationship there, right? But it's, it's cold. It's formal. And it lacks all of the freedom that we are able to have in Christ. The freedoms that Christ purchased. In other words, the bondage remains. 
And that's why back in, back in uh, chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 4, that's why Paul says these very serious words. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You know, Paul is just stating there the severe consequences that come from substituting works for faith. And we've got to make the point here, I, I think, that Paul is not talking here about you know, a people who are in danger of, of losing their salvation in the sense that they, they once had it, they had eternal security, they were truly in Christ by faith, but now are in danger of losing it, of, of falling away. Remember, Paul is giving this as a warning. He's, he's asking the people to remember, to return, to think upon that which they, they had in Christ and to come back. Now, for the Galatians, just as for us, there may be some who are or, and who have been making this substitution truly works for faith. So that that is the basis ultimately for your relationship with God. That, that may be the case. And if that is the case, uh, verse 4, the words that I just read, they, they apply to you. And so you need to take that seriously. And you need to uh, hear Paul's admonishment to, to turn and to embrace Christ, to look to Christ by faith. Nothing else being there to substitute but there are others who truly, like many of these Galatians, have heard the gospel, they have received Christ, and therefore they know of the freedom that we are able to have in Christ, and yet they may still be tempted to add works. Why? There are a number of reasons for that. One, I'd like to just give by way of illustration, imagine that there is a, a man who has been incarcerated for a long time, maybe 25 years. And all he's known during that time are the four walls of his cell. Three times a day, he's taken out for a meal in chains and then brought back. Every now and then may make it into the, the jail yard to get a, a, a taste of sun, sunlight. But then, again, it's in chains. 25 years. And then after all that time, he's released into the world. And he experiences freedom. And it's amazing. Sunlight, day after day, the freedom to choose what I will do next. And yet, he finds, as, as you, can, you can read about this, those who have been incarcerated, uh, yet, there was a comfort that was there. A, a knowledge and understanding of what was going to, to happen Next, uh, so that there weren't so many unknowns. It was known there were going to be three meals a day and that they were taken care of. And uh, there was a comfort of being in those four walls. This had to have been a temptation for the Galatians. Even though many of them, it sounds, maybe most of them were of true faith. Uh, but they may have been happy to do this outward activity when they heard about it uh, in order to have assurance. This is taken care of. Okay, I, I, you know, I, I can see, I can look at it, I can know that I'm in this place with the Lord. I can know with my, my brothers and, and sisters that I'm a part of 
of this uh, instead of the way of faith. Now, we've got to take that on for ourselves and recognize that we are capable of doing the same thing. And I'm just going to make it very straightforward. If you say in your mind or outwardly, or you think that within the church, the people of the church must blank, and you can fill in the blank there, or that the people of the church, including me, must not, whatever you put in there, if that item that you would put into that blank is not something that is required by Scripture, especially when it comes to, to worship and, and, and faith and the way we conduct ourselves, you've got to beware that you're not leading into falling into legalism. We have to keep a watch on our, ourselves, on our, our thoughts, on our requirements for others, especially within leadership. Uh, are we calling upon those to do that which would go against their conscience and that conscience which is bounded by the Word of God? Are we adding things? Are we subtracting things? Now, there are, of course, entire churches and entire denominations uh, that have this built into their doctrinal stance. This is true of the Roman Catholic Church. This is built in that faith is helped by works. It's official doctrine. Now Paul here is giving us a severe warning against that. Uh, which, that which would lead to a discarding of our relationship with Christ. The other direction is to build our relationship only upon faith in Christ. That leads to the opposite. That leads to an embracing of Christ, a coming together with Him. The first one is warned against. The second one uh, is what Paul wants us to know. That's what we see in these next couple of verses. So Paul is also saying stand firm and embrace Christ by faith through the Spirit. And notice, this is, this is really the opposite of what we just talked about. Legalism kills. It removes a relationship with the Lord. It, it, enters, it brings us into something that is, is cold and removed from Christ. While faith, true faith, more and more, it draws us in. It makes us partakers of Christ. You know, the very first thing uh, in these next couple of verses, uh, verse 5 and verse 6, the very first thing that must catch our attention here is that this relationship is by way of faith, which is what we're talking about, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is critical to note, I think, because the Holy Spirit is, is active and He is living. This is the very presence of God with us. And this is going to be the basis for Paul's description as we go through the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6, his description of this new and this different way of living. As we saw earlier in our, our confession of, of faith, uh, we saw these words that uh, it's, it's the presence of the Spirit given in greater measure that sets the New Testament apart from the Old Testament believer. Uh, so that because of what happened in Acts chapter 2, the giving of the Spirit uh, across the boards to all who believe in Christ, we are able to know Christ, to experience God in a, in a greater way. 
also, whereas the legalism-based relationship involves a, a, a doing, so that we do things in order to gain standing before God, to make ourselves righteous before God, contrast that with what Paul says in verse 5. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, this, this is the knowledge that uh, when we come to, to Christ by faith, that the Lord looks upon us as having the righteousness of Christ. Uh, that we are, we are white, we are clean as Christ is. But inside we know that we are sinful. And so what is He also doing? He's working out, He's purifying. That's what sanctification is about. So we receive the benefits of Christ. We receive complete and full forgiveness. Uh, and on and on. But also, meanwhile, He's working out that righteousness until one day, he will make us righteous before the Lord. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, either when we die or when Christ returns. This is not something that we're achieving, right? This is something that we are, are waiting upon that the Lord will do. He will complete that work in us, that work of righteousness. But look here also at our demeanor. He says, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. There is a patience there. And there is a joy there as well. These we'll cover later when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But this comes out of a, a, a knowledge of the freedom that we have in Christ. Do you, maybe you uh, recall the words that we read earlier out of uh, the Confession of Faith about those who know this freedom. It said this, that they, they yield obedience to Him, to the Lord, not out of slavish fear. That's the legalism side of things but out of a childlike love and a willing mind. That's what Paul is describing here. There is a, there's a love for the Lord that shows itself in a heart that desires to obey Him. You know, if you read Psalm 1, you read Psalm 119, uh, uh, other places, especially in the Psalms, uh, you, you read about the psalmist who loves the law of the Lord. And, and some of us may read that at first and say, loves the law. What is that all about? This is what it's about. Because when we're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts are changed so that by the Spirit we come more and more to walk with the Spirit, to be in line with who God is, to think His thoughts so that we desire to obey. We love His law. And that's, that's what... This, this knowing this freedom in Christ, the Spirit working in us, that's what it does to us. Uh, look at our passage at verse 6, the last verse uh, of this paragraph. Now Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, you may find that a little bit surprising. Paul is talking about not being circumcised as being so important. But here he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But the primary thing is faith working through love. The NIV, I believe, says expressing itself, uh, uh, faith expressing itself through love. Uh, here we see that the standing of this person before God 
is by faith. It's not by works of the law. And what it produces, though, is a heart for obedience to the Lord. So the main thing has nothing to do with circumcision at all. But it's faith working itself out and expressing itself through love for others. Uh, Think about that in terms of the law that was given by, by Moses. This is the second table of the law, isn't it? You remember, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That, that summarizes the first table of the law. The second table, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and really, that's the point here, that when we've come to know the Lord Jesus through the Spirit, by faith, not by works, and we, we know the freedom that Christ has purchased for us, and what He has done, then we know that the law is no longer condemning. Remember Romans 8.1, uh, that, that you no longer have condemnation. There is no, no longer condemnation uh, that's, that's upon us in Christ Jesus. We know freedom from condemnation. And the Holy Spirit makes the law, our, our own heart's desire, so that more and more and more we begin to want what God wants. That's the Spirit at work within us. What's the basis for all that? It's this freedom in Christ that, that, that we're able to know because of what Christ has done. The basis, of course, is the grace of God that, that is in that work that Christ has done for us. And when we come to know that, we live out of that freedom. And no longer are we held captive by sin. No longer are we held captive by death, the fear of death. No longer are we held captive by Satan who covers over our eyes, but now we are able to see and to know Christ and to walk with Christ. That is living out of the freedom that Christ has given us. One more time, let me read. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let us take that to heart. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for those good words. Uh, We thank You that those are given that we might see and that by Your Spirit You open our eyes to be able to see them. That no more should we be under the constraint of sin that again and again and again holds us down. But now we desire something brand new. We, we desire to walk with our God, to know our God, to walk in obedience out of a heart of love because we have been loved. Uh, Lord, we thank You for that. And we pray, Lord, that You will help us. We know that there are many things in our daily lives that stand in the way of us knowing this in in our daily walk, knowing the presence of Christ. I pray that you would help us to study these things, to place them in our minds, to come to know them, and therefore to look to and to rely upon Christ and Him alone, and to experience the great joy and the freedom that comes out of that. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.